Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Come Let Us Worship, Psalms 71 and 72. And I'm beginning on page 119. So uh, note that. Um, and you might want to write a note actually on the top of page 120 where it says Psalm 71 that you should start on page 119. I needed to do that for myself. Because on page 119 regarding Psalm 70, I just would like you to mention the flow of Psalm 70 and then 71, 72. We see Psalm 70 is an um, urgent plea. It's a short psalm. And then the last sentence of the paragraph, in the context of Psalm 69, 70, and 71, Psalm 70 is a cry for God to set up his universal kingdom and send his eternal king and to do that soon. And hopefully that registers and makes even more sense and more connection after uh, working through Psalm 71 and 72. Then on page 119, regarding Psalm 71 and 72, there's just a preview of those two psalms. 71 is the prayer of an aged man, uh, and 72 is either by Solomon or for him. So we see that um, David's reign is coming to an end, and the heir to the kingdom will soon be seated on his throne. And that brings us to Psalm 71 on page 120. So let's see what someone who has lived a long life of faith in God has to say. And I just love thinking about the testimony of him, uh, one who has lived a long life of faith. The first question that we're going to ask is at the bottom of page 121. Do you see anything that might indicate that he is past middle age? What in this psalm is indicating this man is old? And I've referred to him as this man, but it's probably David. So you can call him David if you want. Um, it just didn't have his name in the title. So I was uh, um, just careful. But it's okay if we refer to him as the man or David. So I have um, what indicates that he's old. Verse 5 and 6, he's remembering times of his youth. And um, that's something that older people like to do back when I was a kid. And then verse 9 and 10, it says, In time of old age, strength fails, and others watch for his life. So it appears that he is old enough that people are saying he's going to die any day now. In verse 18, it says he's old and gray. And in verse 20, he's expecting to be revived and be brought up from earth. So there is an indication that he sees death is near. And he just, uh, this is not part of the question, but side note, I mean, he expects life after death, God's resurrection of him. So that's pretty cool to see. And then the second half of the question on this uh, bottom of page 121, does he seem concerned about growing older? I would say he's not concerned, but instead he's dependent on God's care for him and comfort for him. 
and protection. At the top of page 122, you were to highlight the requests of the Lord for refuge, safety, and deliverance. So the question is, how would you summarize the situation of the psalmist? And I guess you can tell as I'm getting into this question, we're not walking through and um, specifically reviewing the highlighted phrases or colors of highlights, but we are reviewing what we highlighted by the summary questions. So back to the top of page 122. How would you summarize the situation of the psalmist? I said he needs God's powerful deliverance <laughs> urgently. He needs safety because wicked wrongdoers, ruthless men are against him and conspiring together against him. And they're ready to seize him, as my translation said, which seemed to be take his life. And then we have a question that um, uh, we'll have a little bit of discussion about. Does life get easier? Should you expect problems to disappear as you grow older? Um, no, life does not get any easier unless you just give up. Unless you change your uh, um, pursuits, I guess. Or if you just don't care and you try to find the easiest road possible, which I am not um, recommending. <laughs> um, problems don't just go away, but they do change. We probably have different problems as we move forward in life. In the italicized paragraph, I have underlined, I see a man who has trusted in the Lord through all of his life, who is now calling for help, who's even praying for the years to come to be filled with praise to the Lord. So that's a bit of a summary statement on this psalm, but um, for you to mention it, it's going to help us focus on the name of the Lord. That's the next thing we are to highlight. He's, um, he's praying for the years to come. Well, all of that. He's trusted in the Lord in all his life. He's calling on the Lord in the present. He's praying for years to come to be filled with praise to the Lord. So, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. <laughs> How does the man address the Lord? What names did you see? And... Um, they might have written, Lord, God, my God, and Holy One of Israel. I actually wrote Yahweh and Elohim, but they didn't have to do that. Oh yeah, there's probably a Lord God, Lord used by itself, God used by itself, and then Lord God used together. Let's look at the definitions of these names of God. Lord, all caps, Yahweh. The root word signifies existence. This word Yahweh is from the root word verb to be, which is why God says, I am. I am that I am. This is the personal name of God. It is the most frequent designation in scripture, 5,321 times in the Old Testament. And... Um, Yah, Y-A-H, is a shortened form of Yahweh, and that's used 50 times in the Old Testament. And what my, um, one of my word dictionaries said that the Bible's own explanation of Yahweh is actually God's explanation. Exodus 3.14, 
I am that I am. And then perhaps you have heard this described as the self-existence of God. And that's very appropriate. So um, make sure you get in there. It's personal name of God. Uh, and why would we say it's the personal name of God? Because Moses said, God, who do I tell the Israelites uh, is sending me or the talk to me? I can't remember exactly about who. What do I tell them your name is? And that's when God said, tell them I am that I am. So that is a personal, relational name of God. I just love that. Okay, next, God, Hebrew word, Elohim. This can refer to little g-o-d, little g-o-d-s, um, but in this psalm and the way that we use it most of the time and think of it, it is God, the, the supreme God. And it's also making us think of the God of Israel. More comments about Elohim on the next page. Lord with little letters is the Hebrew word Adonai, or perhaps they will say Adonai, or Adon, or Adonai. We usually say Adonai because of the spelling um, that... We're, that's just normally the spelling we have. It means Lord, master, owner, and no doubt exists about the meaning of this word, master and owner. It's used that way outside of Yahweh. So we, we see it applied to Yahweh and also people. Then God in all capital letters it's a different Strong's number. You can see between the first one we looked at, Yahweh 3068, and this one was 3069. And it might have showed up as Yahweh, but also probably there was a note of Yehovah. And this is not a different word. It's just a situation because of um, when... As I mentioned, uh, the phrase Lord God is used together, which would really be Adonai Yahweh. It's said um, <laughs> Adonai Elohim. That's how the Jews would pronounce it. So the somewhere along the way, this Yehovah was created because the Jews are saying Elohim. I guess it's a note to the Jews to say Elohim. I don't mean to make that complicated, but um, it basically is the word Yahweh, but it's written with other vowels, Y-E-H-O-V-I-H, and there's a whole derivation that could be explained which is just, we just don't have to do that <laughs> right now. So on the page, top of page 123, leaders. I think you can just mention this, not spend a lot of time at the top of the page on Elohim, but just answer the question yourself. Um, which one of the names of God does this man use most often? It's Elohim. And then you have a description of Elohim. And what I'm really bringing attention to is that the Name of God, Elohim, is used more often in book two and three than the name Yahweh. And again, it kind of goes back to this being the 
name of God as he is the supreme God over Israel. Let's move on now to good stuff of what you highlighted, how God is described. Which characteristic of God is mentioned more than any other? So you can do the description first and name everything or um, go ahead and say which one is mentioned more than any other. I'm just going to say that his righteousness was mentioned more than any other characteristic. I didn't count it, but that was my observation. The variety of ways that he is described. Verse 2, he's God of righteousness. Verse 3, he's the rock of habitation, a rock, a fortress. Verse 5, he is my hope, my confidence. Verse 6, he who took me from my mother's womb. Verse 7, my strong refuge. Verse 8, glory. Verse 15 is righteousness, again, and salvation. Verse 16, he does mighty deeds. Verse 18, he has strength and power. Verse 19, his righteousness reaches to the heavens, and he's done great things. And verse 22, I have truth. I can't remember the phrase. And you may have more or you may have less. And I may have pulled some out that you didn't think um, should be there. But let's uh, give ladies an opportunity to share what they have noted. Next question. There are several requests regarding what he wants to be able to do continually for the rest of his life. What does the psalmist say in the following verses? Uh, I think that you should start going around a circle. We're going to have a list of verses here, and they continue on to the next page, which you might want to write a note to yourself about, just so you know that it's not just four verses right here. So let's go around the circle. Um, Psalm 71.3, this man wants to continually come to Yahweh, the rock of habitation, the place where the rock where he will dwell. Psalm 71.6, he wants to continually praise him. Psalm 71.8, his mouth is filled with praise and glory to God all day long. Psalm 71.14, he wants to hope continually and praise God more and more. Next page, Psalm 71.15, he wants to tell of God's righteousness and salvation all day long. Psalm 71, 24, with his tongue, he will utter God's righteousness all day long. So it's good to talk about God all day long. What do you learn regarding old age from the following scriptures? And I think you can just keep going around the circle. Psalm 48, 14, God is our God forever. He will guide us even unto death. Um, unto death is what the New King James and the NAS say niv says even to the end so even to the end of life psalm 92 12 through 15 the righteous will flourish they will still bear fruit in old age they will be fresh and flourishing to declare that the lord is upright so i always uh want to make sure i love that this psalm and these verses and i want to make sure that I don't stop with the righteous will flourish. Um, I don't want to stop with they'll still bear fruit in old age. I don't want to stop with the be fresh and flourishing. <laughs> the, why? What's the purpose of all this? To declare that the Lord is upright. 
Proverbs 20, 29 says, The splendor of old men is their gray hair, gray head. Splendor of old women, too. Splendor of young women if their hair is gray. Um, Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. God says, Listen, you have been upheld by me since your birth. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I will carry you. That's just so wonderful and comforting and compassionate and loving and true. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Even though our outward man is perishing, which it is, our inward man is being renewed day by day by God, by His Spirit, by His work in us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Titus 2, 2 through 5. And we have a lot of things here. The older men are to be sober, sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, patience. Older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. They are to be teachers of good things and admonish young women to love their husbands and children and be keepers at home, take care of their home. I uh, was making a, a note or trying to write this briefly, so I just have written love, husband, children, and home. It's kind of like, hey, love your home too. The psalmist was not the only one who recorded words as he looked toward the last years of his life. In 2 Timothy 4, 6-18, through 18, we hear about Paul. How did he describe his present circumstances? That he is being poured out as a drink offering. His time of departure has come, so his death is near. He knows that. And he says he has finished the race, and he has been deserted by all but Luke. How did he describe the life he had lived? He had fought the good fight. So it was a fight. Uh, not easy. He finished the race. A race requires endurance. He kept the faith. The Lord stood with him and strengthened him. And I had a note about the expectation, but I'm like, oh, that's the next question. What does he expect in the future? He expects a crown of righteousness, which uh, when he sees Jesus, he expects to see <laughs> what? I don't know. To see. Well, I'll just say the Lord will rescue him from every evil deed and bring him safely to his heavenly kingdom. That's pretty funny. I can usually read all of my notes, but I have got something that I don't know what this says. Oh, Timothy. He expects to see Timothy. And then the last question. Is there any indication that he has retired or he is still in active service to the Lord? No, there is no indication of that. So all of that sets us up for application and just uh, thoughts about our own um, growing older, um, or just our future doesn't have to be growing older. It's a combination, right? Can't help but do it. What do you pray for regarding your future? What is your outlook on serving the Lord in your old age? So I kind of went into a prayer there. Jesus strengthen me, give me wisdom and faith and energy to keep on keeping on. And to flourish in service to you, um, obediently and joyfully. 
and for him to use me his way and show me when things need to change. What does he want to do uh, with you? So, um, next page. Before we leave this psalm, I'd like you to notice an idea that's going to show up quite often in book three. What does Psalm 71:17 say? Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. So the question to open up for everyone to share at least one thing. What wondrous things have you seen God accomplish throughout the days of your life? You can share more than one thing, but at least say something. Um, mine started with my parents and their faith. And the last thing that I put was um, freedom in Christ. So, with, with a bunch of good stuff in between. We'll move on to um, Psalm 72. And um, I have highlighted, it will help for a, getting started and just remembering what this psalm is about. The second paragraph in the box says, Two towering mountain peaks of truth stand before the reader in this psalm. Each summit represents the reign of a mighty king. One is near and great, that's Solomon. The other is far away, yet even more grand, and that's Jesus. Um, so, at the bottom of page 126, this psalm is a prayer for the king, written by the king. So, he's praying for himself, but this also becomes a prayer for the messianic king and a description of his reign. First, we'll consider how this reflects Solomon's reign which is in itself a majestic mountain. It really is wonderful that God gave Solomon the glorious reign of uh, peace and wealth and wisdom, and he gave a, a little taste, a little teeny tiny taste, so that people could see the blessing of God and the real um, fulfillment of what he had promised, but it's not complete. So we'll see that show up, but it's just, I've just uh, been uh, impressed or reflective that it, it really is wonderful that we had Solomon's glorious reign to look at and to know then that Jesus' reign is going to be so much greater and more glorious. At the top of page 127, what did Solomon request for the king in Psalm 72, 1 through 5? He wanted the judgments of God and his righteousness. He wanted to carry out justice. He wanted peace for the people, uh, vindication for the afflicted. He wanted to crush the oppressor. And may the people fear the Lord in all generations. Well, that's excellent. Uh, what did Solomon request for himself in 1 Kings 3, 7 through 14? And what did the Lord promise him? Huh, silly me. I somehow skipped that question. I know the answer is that Solomon asked for wisdom to be able to judge the people. And the Lord said, did, um, Oh, because you did not ask for riches and glory but you asked for wisdom. I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you riches. 
What does 1 Kings 3.28 tell you about Solomon and his wisdom and the people's response when he had his first opportunity to carry it out? All Israel heard Solomon's judgment and feared the king. They saw the wisdom of God in him to administer justice. Um, that is just an incredible statement and shows the reputation and the real, um, not shock, but perhaps awe that, wow, Solomon did something so wise. It just all Israel knew about it. In Psalm 72, 5 through 7, how is the king's reign described and how long does it last? This is beautiful. While the sun endures, as long as the moon endures or till it is no more, it lasts all generations. His reign is like rain on mown grass, like showers that water the earth. So once they've given the um, verses that are the answer to this question, ask the ladies, do you understand this illustration? Um, I'm, I'm mainly asking about the rain on the grass and showers watering the earth. Do you understand that? I know I explained it in the paragraph below, but um, so that we don't just gloss over it. The the length is going to, we're going to talk about the length more as we get further down the page. Um, what was promised to David by the Lord in First Chronicles 17, 11 through 14. This is the Davidic covenant. God will set up David's seed after him, his sons. He will establish his kingdom. He will build God a house. The son will build God a house. And God will establish, establish his throne forever. He will be a father to him and he will be a son to him. He will not take his mercy away from him. His throne is established forever. So I hope the ladies will say the word forever because that's the key point that we are pondering here. Um, would there be an earthly king who would rule forever? Of course, we know they all died. So um, that is a clue to us that there's something going on that doesn't happen to a normal mortal man what what earthly man can reign forever jesus will reign on earth for 1000 years his kingdom will not come to an end through his death it will just undergo a universal makeover and he will reign for eternity all right so we're still looking now at what is described in psalm 72 regarding the territory of the kingdom the boundaries. How big is the kingdom? It says it's from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Nomads in the desert bow to him. I haven't studied this, but I'm thinking that nomads, they roam. They don't bow to anyone. So I think this is highlighting that even those who don't have a, a, a place that's their own nation that they're submitting to um, will bow to Jesus. 
enemies will lick the dust. Uh, that's telling me they are face down, submitting to him. Kings of Tarshish and the islands bring gifts. These are far off places. Kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> All nations bow down and serve him. Okay. I was just looking at all those uh, territories and place, names of places. Page 128. What territory did the, did the Lord promise in the following verses? Genesis 15, 18. To Abraham and his descendants, he promised this land that you can see, Abraham, and beyond what you can see, from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates River. And then Exodus 23, 31. From the Red Sea to the sea, and that would be the Mediterranean Sea, and then from the desert to the river Euphrates. That is probably what is being referred to back on the previous page, from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, um, sea to sea, Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, and from the desert, like the ends of the earth, to the river Euphrates. Joshua 1.4, from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river Euphrates, all land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the setting sun, which is to the west. So the great sea to the west is the Mediterranean Sea. What territory did Solomon have dominion over according to 1 Kings 4.21-24? He reigned over all kingdoms from the river to Philistia as far as the border of Egypt. And then I pointed out something's missing in that description. The, the ends of the earth is not in any of those Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, or 1 Kings. Um, the Messiah will rule over all the earth, all to the ends of the earth. Um, so now we note the phrases that indicate the dominion of the Messianic king. And I am looking for... I, because of the phrase ends of the earth, I know that was in each of these verses, but it depends on your translation as to how it might have put it. Um, Psalm 2, 8, the nations are for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Psalm twenty two twenty seven: all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship you. Psalm 65, 5. God is the confidence of all the ends of the earth and the far-off seas. Psalm 67, 2, 4, and 7. Your way be made known on earth, his salvation among all nations. God will judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. I mean, just stay, saying that, all nations, the nations on earth, it tells you this is global. God shall bless us, all the ends of the earth shall fear him. That day is coming. One day. It has been announced that the king will rule over the entire earth forever. What do the following verses say? Uh, Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice, daughter of Zion. Your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly. Uh, verse 10 says he will speak peace to the nations and wars are ended. Uh, his dominion is from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. 
that's just what Psalm 72 said. Exactly. Sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. How about that? Luke 1, 31 through 33 says, Jesus will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. So we've got the forever and we've got the um, reigning over all the earth. Does Jesus have dominion over you? We want to apply the concepts that we've been seeing that are going to come about in the millennial kingdom for real. When Jesus is sitting on the throne from the temple on Mount Zion, but he'll have dominion over the earth then. Does he have dominion over you now? And hopefully ladies will just be nodding. Um, what does that look like in your life? And do you have peace under his perfect authority? So let's open that up for ladies to share uh, their reactions to this question. Um, for me, just thinking about what does it look like that the Lord has dominion over me. Um, that is... Um, I trust him and obey and submit and worship and depend on him. I just put some in single words down as my answer there. And do I have peace under his perfect authority? Yes. Except when I'm fighting against it. <laughs> even though I'm not even though I trust and obey and submit, sometimes there's a process. So uh, the peace comes uh, through the process of submission. So on page 129, what does Psalm 72, 12 through 14 tell you about the kindness of the king? So we have a different topic and theme that we're focusing on now. He delivers the needy when he cries for help and the afflicted and him who has no helper. The king is kind. He has compassion on the poor and needy. He saves lives. He rescues from oppression and violence. Uh, their blood is precious in his sight. Oh, I think that's right. So the king is kind and compassionate. If this is how the king treats others, should you do any less? How do you help the needy, the afflicted, and the weak? So um, please share something if you can, and let's encourage each other to good works as we are examples to each other of serving and helping. What does Psalm 72, 15 through 17 tell you about the blessings for and from the king? So just have somebody share their list for the blessings that are for the king. Um, gold of Sheba is given to him and um, they pray for him continually. They bless him all day long. His name endures forever. Uh, and then blessings from the king. They give abundance. Oh, they receive an abundance of grain. And the people in the city flourish. And men bless themselves by him. And if, if y'all wrote something some different way, that'll be fine. But you hopefully see that. Um, the king is giving to the people, 
and the king is also being blessed by the people. Have you received blessings from the king, and what are some of them? Again, a place for listing a variety of anything. Um, Life, forgiveness, joy, peace, friends, and family. (laughs) What blessings does Ephesians 1, 3 through 7 say that those in Christ have received? We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have adoption and um, chosen. We are chosen to be holy and blameless. We have redemption through his blood. I also have riches of his grace. Just had to add that. Now we're going to look at something Isaiah said. He had much to say about him who is the king. And these passages in Isaiah further describe the glorious mountain, which in the future millennial kingdom will be the place of the king's throne. So again, we're looking at the physical earthly reign of Jesus from Jerusalem for a thousand years. How is the king and his kingdom described in the following passages? There is no more gloom. It is glorious. There is a great light. There is increased gladness. And people are glad in the Lord's presence. That's a difference for people to be glad in the Lord's presence. Uh, I wrote boots and cloaks of war are used for fuel to burn. The government is on Jesus' shoulders. There is peace. There is no end to the increase of his government or peace, and he rules with justice and righteousness. Isaiah 11, 1 through 9, The Spirit of the Lord rests on the king, and he has wisdom and understanding. He uh, He has counsel and strength. He has knowledge and fear of the Lord. He judges with righteousness and faithfulness. (laughs) I noted it. uh, I summarized by saying animals are friends. And there is nothing that hurts. And the knowledge of the Lord is over all the earth. Isaiah 61 through 22. Lots of verses. Um, The glory of the Lord is upon his kingdom. Nations come to his light. The abundance of the sea and wealth of nations come to him. The house of God is glorious. It is beautiful and a bountiful land with all people coming to the Lord. There's no violence. And the Lord is the everlasting light. I was summarizing because there was so much there. Clearly, that's fine. And actually, that's what the instructions were in that um, question. Summarize how the king and his kingdom is described in the following passages. On page 130, what are... Oh, I'm sorry. At the um, first italicized sentence. Psalm 72 concludes with a doxology, which is the conclusion to this section of the book of Psalms, but it's also so appropriate for the psalm itself. What are the specific connections in Psalm 72... 18 and 19, to the rest of Psalm 72. Um, I said that God is the God of Israel and he works wonders. And you see these things in the, um, like verse 15, he blessed, the king is to be blessed all day long. Why? Because he's the God of Israel and he works wonders. The whole earth, the ends of the earth, 
and we bless his name forever. I don't know if that makes much sense, but I'm connecting the works of wonders to the glorious wonders that he's doing. This That question is not supposed to be, um, that's not a major um, issue. So you can even skip it if it's confusing. I don't think I'm helping you with an answer to it very well. But the conclusion is, from Psalm 42 through Psalm 72, the wondrous works of the Lord have been magnified through prayers and poems and poetry and praise. So we've come to a conclusion to book two. If you'll look down to the very bottom of page 130, in the middle of that last paragraph, it says, All of Psalms 3 through 72 are to be read as prayers regarding the Messiah. So we've looked at them individually, but if you look at everything all together, it's pointing us and leading us to pray for the Messiah to come. Um, The prayers show the faith of David and the nation of Israel through the good times and the bad as they wait for their king to deliver them. I have not done this, but it would be a really neat exercise to see all of the phrases that say, like, um, deliver us and salvation is from the Lord and just the, the sense that you get in this book one and two of there is a king, we need a king, there's a king who's going to come save us, and um, Yahweh save us. So that brings us to the end of book two, and we say, um, glory to God, blessed be the name of the Lord, amen and amen. And we're thankful for David and the recording of his prayers. And I thank you for leading ladies through these two psalms. Have a good time. Thanks for listening. My in-depth Bible study workbooks on Job, Psalms, Ezekiel, Matthew, Ephesians, First and Second Thessalonians, and Hebrews are available on Amazon. My coordinating lectures are available on my website and YouTube and other podcast episodes. I pray that God's Word will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path.